listen folks, we are no match against Satan and his false teachers in our own strength. Our only hope is Christ. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Are you prepared to defend your faith? Have you ever questioned what you believe? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 10 of his series titled, Learning to Use God's Armor. If you're a believer, you are in a deadly spiritual war, and the greatest tactic of the enemy is to get you to question the truth of Scripture. So be warned, don't be tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, and don't let Satan attack the Word of God in your life through a false teacher who corrupts the true gospel. That's Satan's strategy to sabotage your faith. And today, Tom will look at four practical ways you can be prepared for this strategy in your life. Keep all that in mind as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. Matthew 23, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. Now watch this. For you do not enter in yourselves. In other words, you're not true believers. You're not going to heaven. Nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You understand that first century Judaism was not the faith of Abraham? It had been hijacked. It had become a satanic substitute. It was created and maintained by a group of powerful false teachers called the Pharisees and the scribes. So Jesus encountered constantly false teaching. That's what first century Judaism was. When you come to the first century church, when you come to the time of the apostles, you see this same problem unfolding. Look at Acts chapter 20. Paul, in his last words to the Ephesian elders, before he departs from them, in Acts chapter 20, he warns them of what's coming. Verse 29, I know, this isn't a guess, this isn't might be, this is I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Paul tells the Ephesian elders, listen, it's coming. Get ready. The church in Ephesus, the church to whom Paul is writing the letter we're studying together, Paul says they're going to be false teachers. We saw it to the church in Corinth, didn't we? When we looked at 2 Corinthians 11. They're going to be, there are false teachers. The churches in Galatia experienced the same thing. Galatians chapter 1. You remember, Paul writes in verse 6 of Galatians 1, as he writes to all the churches that he'd planted on his first missionary journey, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. 
Less than five years after Paul's first missionary journey, he's writing them this letter, and already they are deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. By the way, there's, there's what the true gospel is about. It's not about what you do. It's about the grace shown to you in Christ. For a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to, here it is, distort the gospel of Christ. The churches in Galatia had to deal with false teachers, in this case the Judaizers, who said, oh yeah, you know, Christ is good, His death is great, you need that, you need grace, you need faith, but you also need to add circumcision and keeping the law if you're going to be right with God. And Paul says that's not a little add-on to the gospel, that's a different gospel. Later, the church in Ephesus continued to struggle with the presence of false teachers. Sometime after he warned them in Acts 20, he sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus. And then he wrote to Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy 4. He writes Timothy, and in his letter, first letter to Timothy, he warns him about false teachers again. Verse 1, 1 Timothy 4, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, that's biblical language for the time from the life of Christ till His return. And because he's warning Timothy, we can bet that this was a problem Timothy was going to face. Some will fall away from the faith. So they're going to start out in the Christian church, but where they end up can't even be called Christianity. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. There's the source of false teaching. Ultimately, it comes from satanically inspired men propped up by demons. Verse 2, they are liars and hypocrites seared in their own conscience. So here's the pawn, if you will. The men are the pawns in this game. And they teach, verse 3, to forbid marriage, and they advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. They add to the Scripture. Paul says to Timothy, beware, it's coming to Ephesus. If you fast forward to the very end of New Testament history, you look at John's letters written at the very end of the first century, you see the same warning. In 1 John chapter 4, he says, as he writes, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. That is, the spirits behind and influencing the teachers you're hearing because many false teachers have gone out into the world. And then he warns them about these false teachers. This is the very end of the first century and at the end of the New Testament age, the New Testament era, when the apostles were alive and living, ministering. If you want to read what false teachers look like, how to sort of see their characters, you may have to take a bath after you read it, but read 2 Peter 2 and read Jude's letter. Those two passages describe in detail these men and women in some cases who are in to false teaching. But understand this, Satan distorts the true Christ and corrupts the true gospel, and he does that by raising up false teachers who are somehow connected to the true faith. 
Now, who are these false teachers? How do you recognize them? Well, first of all, I want to give you just a couple of common manifestations of false teaching. How it comes. Number one, as heresy within Christian churches and denominations. As heresy within Christian churches and denominations. Heresy is simply a denial of a defined, established Christian doctrine. So in other words, here you have someone within the Christian church who holds to some, perhaps all but one, of the cardinal doctrines of the Christian church. But through Bible study, through his own mind, through, through his careful study, he comes to a conclusion that puts him outside of historic Christianity where the Spirit has led other men and women to understand the truth. And he's sort of out on his own on this one cardinal doctrine and it's heresy. It's, it's contrary to established Christian doctrine. You can see this, by the way, in some of the mainline Protestant denominations of our day. Some of them have denied almost every cardinal doctrine. Others of them hold to all of the cardinal doctrines except for one. You can see it in denominations like Catholicism and the Church of Christ, where they teach that baptism must be there for a person to be saved, that it is where your confidence should be placed. That's heresy. A Christian denomination with an aberrant teaching on one of the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. A second manifestation of false teaching is cults. Cults. Cults are different because Cults are not true Christian churches and denominations. Cults are separate groups that may identify themselves as Christians, but whose primary doctrines are in conflict with historic Christianity. Usually, you'll recognize a cult by its being off on at least two of the following. Either the person of Christ, the way of salvation, the gospel, or the source of authority. Usually, a cult will be wrong on two of those three. Often, they'll have revelation beyond the Bible, some own their own translation, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, or some other book, like the Book of Mormon. So, the examples of cults would be Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian science, etc. There's a long list and litany of cults. They are not Christianity, but they often prey upon those who are. So there's heresy in Christian churches and denominations. There are cults. And then a third common manifestation of false teaching is a slow departure from the truth. This one is not often understood, but I think this one is really the most serious to us. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul's last letter, his last letter to his son in the faith. And he ends it with the charge in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 to preach the word. He says when it's in season, when it's out of season. When people want you to do it, when they don't want you to do it. Why? Notice verse 3. For the time will come when they, who's they? People in churches when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and then eventually they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. 
Heresy often happens from the top down among leaders and teachers. This strategy of Satan starts from the bottom up. It's a demand from the people of the church for what they like and enjoy. I'm convinced that for most Christians, this is the most dangerous version of false teaching because it doesn't begin as false teaching. It begins with a desire to be more relevant. Let's just be more relevant. We don't need sound doctrine. We don't need verse-by-verse exposition of all that God wanted us to know. Let's pick and choose those parts that just seem to be more relevant to us, that scratch people where they itch. Seems like well-intentioned. But eventually what Paul says is when, you, when people in the church begin to accumulate teachers who will scratch what itches, eventually, verse 4, they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. You've seen it. I've seen it. It's exactly what happens. Now, if you think that you cannot be led astray from the truth of the gospel, you say, listen, you know, I'm a part of a Bible church. I've been a Christian for many years. I'm well taught. I'm in the Bible every day. I know what the gospel is. I know who Christ is. No chance this strategy would ever work on me. You better think again. Let him who thinks he stands, what? Take heed lest he fall. Turn back to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1, here are churches in verses 6 to 9 who people who less than five years before were converted under the ministry of the Apostle Paul and sat under the teaching of the Apostle Paul, and they were quickly willing to turn to a different gospel. But it gets worse. Go to chapter 2, verse 11. The Judaizers, this group of false teachers who wanted to add the keeping of the law and circumcision to how you needed, what you needed to do to be justified before God, they influenced others. Verse 11 of chapter 2, when Cephas, that's Peter, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was self-condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, that's our Lord's half-brother, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And it went on further, verse 13, the rest of the Jews joined them in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Now what's at stake here? Verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, he goes on then to confront Peter, and the confrontation is recorded here. What I want you to see, folks, is that you and I had better beware regardless of who we are or what our level of knowledge is. You could be Barnabas, a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, and compromise the gospel. You could be James, the half-brother of our Lord and the pastor of the Jerusalem church, and compromise the gospel. You could even be an apostle, Peter, and compromise the gospel and fall into this trap of Satan. So you and I better be alert. We better beware. You say, how can I recognize a false teacher? Very quickly, let me give you a couple of ways to recognize a false teacher. Number one, their message is is widely appealing even with unbelievers. Their message is widely appealing even with unbelievers. This has been true of false prophets from the Old Testament and through the New. 
Listen to our Lord's words in Luke 6, verse 26. Woe when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Beware when unbelievers like a professed Bible teacher's message. Look at how they treated Jesus. Look at how they treated the apostles. Beware. Number two, you can recognize a false teacher because they deny one of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Usually, and you can always go here when, you, when you're trying to figure out if somebody's orthodox or not, usually it's either they're wrong on the person of Christ or they're wrong on the way of salvation. Sometimes both. Ask them who they believe Jesus is. I mean, really, don't let them sort of skate the issues. Ask them who they really think Jesus is. Get them to define it for you. And secondly, how is a man made right with God? False teachers are wrong on those questions. Galatians 1, they were wrong on the gospel. 1 John 4, they were wrong on Christ. I had a conversation with some Mormons who came to our church on a Sunday night. A couple of Mormon elders attended wanted to demonstrate that really there were no differences between us. And we had a chat right out here in the lobby afterwards, and they were telling me, listen, we worship the same Jesus. I said, I'm sorry, but we don't. Because your Jesus is another Jesus. Your Jesus is a Jesus who is the physical offspring of a sexual union between God the Father and a woman. Your Jesus is the half-brother of Satan. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Number three, you can recognize a false teacher. Their ultimate source of authority is often outside the Word of God. Their ultimate source of authority is often outside the Word of God. Shouldn't surprise us. Jeremiah 23 says we should expect false prophets to speak of dreams and visions and direct revelations from God. So you have the Mormons, for example, who... You know, Joseph Smith claimed to have a direct revelation. The angel Moroni gave him the Book of Mormon. Instead of listening to those who claim authority outside the Scripture, we should be evaluating their message by the Scripture. That's what the Scripture teaches. Turn back to Deuteronomy 13. Moses lays down here the primary way to test a prophet, a teacher, to see whether or not they're genuine. Deuteronomy 13, and here is a case of a very bad chapter break. Look at the last verse of chapter 12. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add nor take away from it. He says, listen, I've given you commands. I've given you my word. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. So, verse 1 of chapter 13, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you. In other words, if a guy comes along and he does something that is truly miraculous, but he's telling you to do something contrary to my word, don't believe it. Verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You, here's the key, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him, and you shall keep His commandments. Listen to His voice. You test everything you hear, whether it's something I say or something another teacher says, by the Word of God. That is the standard. What does the Bible say? 
If he adds to the word of God, if he subtracts from the word of God, he is not a prophet even if he can work a miracle. He's demonically inspired. That's what Paul says in Galatians 1, isn't it? He tells them, listen, if an apostle shows up, if we, he says, or an angel from heaven should come and preach to you a different gospel than that that you heard from Christ and his apostles, what? Let him be cursed, anathema. Let him be damned. Even if, a, if an apostle, if Paul himself showed up here this morning, or if an angel from heaven showed up here on this platform and told you something other than what you find on the pages of this book, grab them by the seat of the pants and throw them out. That's what Paul says. This is the standard. Number four, way you recognize a false prophet, this is the last, in practical living, they tend to stray in one of two ways. Either they turn grace into license to sin however much they want, or they turn grace into legalism and they establish man-made rules. You see license in both 2 Peter and Jude. You remember what Jude says? Jude says there are these ungodly men who have crept in and they turn the, the grace of God into licentiousness. That's a word for a license for loose living. Oh, God's grace is wonderful. It'll forgive us, so let's do whatever we want. On the other hand, 1 Timothy 4 describes those who turn the grace of God into legalism. They say, oh, you can't get married. No, no, you know, a priest shouldn't get married. And, you know, there are foods you shouldn't eat. Beware on both of those extremes. False teachers will either turn grace into license or they'll turn grace into legalism. Don't be tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. Don't let Satan attack the Word of God in your life by getting you to follow a false teacher who distorts the true Christ, who corrupts the true gospel. That's Satan's strategy to sabotage your faith. Listen, it's possible there are people listening to me this morning who have been hoodwinked by false teachers. You're putting all of your hope in a false Jesus and a false gospel. For your sake, let me just say this. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the eternal, uncreated Son of God. He is equal with God the Father in every respect. And He is one of three members of the Blessed Trinity. He, being fully God, became fully man, everything that you are. He took on full humanity, and he suffered and died on a cross in the place of every sinner who would ever believe in him. What you need to do is never can you earn that on your own. Never can your efforts be good enough. No baptism, no confirmation, no signing of a card, walking an aisle. The only thing you can do is what Jesus said, repent and believe. That's the gospel. That's your only hope. What about for us who are believers? Listen, folks, we are no match against Satan and his false teachers in our own strength. Our only hope is Christ. That's why, how does Paul begin this passage in Ephesians 6? Be strengthened, how? In the Lord and in the power of His might. Listen, Jesus lived His life in a an absolute atmosphere of false teaching. First century Judaism was nothing but false teaching. The entire Old Testament faith had been hijacked by the Pharisees. 
But Jesus was unmoved by their error, unmoved by their false teaching. He clung to the truth. He lived it. He taught it. He defended it. And you and I can stand as He stood, but only in His strength. That's why we have to put on the armor. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 10 of his series, Learning to Use God's Armor. Tom will have part 11 for you next time, and we hope you'll join us then. In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.